we're walking through um, Hebrews chapter 11, which is really a long hall of faith, and it mentions several characters, almost all of them from the Old Testament. So we're going back and retelling those stories and talking about what faith means when it is in that situation. Faith, as we've learned, is not something you have or don't have. It's something that you learn because you can't have it until you're in a situation where you need it. So it's actually the situation that creates the faith that you have later on. Sometimes you'll feel very poorly about how you're doing. You say, I didn't handle that well. I should have done better than that. And what you sometimes might remember is that probably anyone would have handled it the way you handled it. It's here in this situation where you learn what faith looks like. On the, on the screen for you is a passage that comes right before the passage that, was, uh, that we'll refer to in a moment. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking about the one they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Who is He talking about? A few verses earlier, there's a list of people, and all of them are old. And this will be the last message, really, from Hebrews 11 about old people. And there's not any old people here. So bear with me. I'll play old for the next few minutes. Enoch, for instance, was 365 years old when the Lord came to him and said, You have a dream. Noah was 600 when he started to build the ark. Abraham was 75 when he first got the word. He was 100 years old when his wife gave birth to Isaac and Sarah herself was 90 years old. So these are all people uh, that are really kind of up in years. I don't think there's anyone here older than 600, though on some days you might wonder. One of the problems about being old or getting old is that your vision changes. And I don't mean just the ones that you see through your eyes. I mean, as a young person, you start out with really grandiose dreams of what you want to do in life, and your horizons are way out there. You come out of college or you come out of high school and you're thinking, man, I'm just getting started. And so you have these dreams of everything that you're going to do until you turn about 40 years old, and then you start to realize, man, it's like halftime already. And you didn't realize this, but a lot of the energy that you would need to do everything that you were going to do when you were 18 or 22 is now sort of in the rearview mirror. And so as you go into your 50s and you hit 60, you tend to reach into your horizons and pull them back to you a little closer because you still want to be part of something that's really great and way out there, but you also want to leave this world 
feeling like you've accomplished something, right? And you're thinking, man, we're like, it's after 6 p.m. now. So you're trying to take all of these big ideas that you had and bring them back so you can accomplish them in your lifetime. And, and, and while that helps you as you get older, it's also a really big mistake because most ideas that are worth having at all take longer than one lifetime to accomplish. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, I could probably do this before I die, you probably have an idea that's too small. You should still do that, but you need something bigger than the thing that you can do when you die. So what happens when you get older is you reach out into that big thing and when you pull it closer to you so you can manage it or actually accomplish it, then all of the younger people who are around you start getting frustrated because they feel like they have to work around you all the time. I mean, they love you, but you're sort of in the way. Because see, their horizons are still way out there and yours are getting closer. And so there can be this sense of frustration as you get older. <laughs> the moral to that story is don't get older. <laughs> but you will. What if there was another way? What if there was a way to see further than your eyes could see? What if there was a way to as you got older, see things more clearly than young people can see them. So that while you don't have all of the skill anymore, and while the body of knowledge that you've had to master in your domain is now growing up around you and you feel sort of stuck, what if there was a way for you to see further and more clearly than any of the young people that are behind you. How would you do that? That's what the next leg in this journey of faith is about. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 through 22, we get a flyover of three generations. And each generation is like an episode in an ongoing drama. So episode 1 is verse 20, episode 2 is verse 21, and episode 3 is verse 22. Episode 1 is Isaac and Jacob, episode 2 is Jacob and Joseph's sons, and then episode 3 is Joseph with his brothers and his own sons. And if you look at these three verses, the first thing you notice is that He's covering a span of almost 300 years, no more than 300 years, in three short verses. He just spent 12 verses talking about Abraham, and now he talks about the next 300 and some years in three verses. And then he goes right into Moses for seven more verses. And so between Abraham, who's the starter, and Moses, who's the closer, you know, here's this middle section of old guys. And you wonder what's happening. And you notice that in each episode, the language is similar. He says, by faith, Isaac blessed. By faith, Jacob blessed. And by faith, Joseph spoke. 
And you start to get the idea that what the writer is trying to tell us is faith leans forward. Even though we get older, faith has a way of leaning into the future instead of trying to hang on to something in the past. So in each one of these episodes, there's an old man and there's a young man. And the old man has something that the young man needs. It's a blessing or it's a word. But the young man is the old man's only chance of getting where he wants to go. The last two guys, Jacob and Joseph, are in Egypt, but they want to get back to the promised land. And they're getting ready to die. And they realize that even though they have something that the young person needs, a blessing or a word, they have no chance of getting what they want, which is the promised land, unless the young person takes them there. Think of it as a relay. Only they don't run in circles. <laughs> they run in miles. Hundreds of miles. Like you would the Olympic torch. There's a destination. And everyone is a leg in that relay. But no one person is the whole race. So what happens in these three verses is... Isaac is running for 180 years. And as he gets to the end of his life, pause, but not all the way to the end of his life. He's smart enough to see the end before he gets to the end. And then as he's coming to the end of his 180-year run, he reaches forward and he hands the baton to Jacob, who takes it and runs 147 years. And then towards the end of his run, he reaches forward and hands the baton to Joseph, who takes it and runs for 110 years. And then as Joseph is getting ready to die, he reaches forward and hands the baton to his children who will take them into the promised land. Now, what happens in America is something quite different because the American culture does not have a sense of history in a sense of time. And I know it seems like a really pejorative thing to say, but in a moment I, I, I think you'll see what I mean. But there is in the Hebrew concept of history and the concept of time a fundamentally different picture. And so what happens in the American culture is a person who is about 20-some years old comes out of college and they try to find their calling or their cause or their vision in life and someone has not necessarily handed that to them, we think that goes against their free choice. You know, we think it's better if you just sort of find things on your own. And so the 20-some-year-old sort of has to invent his cause or his vision. 
And by the time he's in his early 30s, he's starting to get some traction. And then in his 40s, he's starting to hit his prime. And in his 50s, he's made all the connections. And his body of work is starting to grow. And then he turns 60. And he can see retirement. And when he's 65 years old, he drops it. And he drifts off into retirement. Which leaves the next generation to stumble around looking for a cause or a vision. Whenever old guys are inside of a meeting and a young person steps into it, have you noticed, not that you're old, but pretend, the young person almost always disagrees with you. Part of it is that they're brash and they're immature. I get that. But part of it is they're trying to find out whether there's room for them in your organization or in your family or in your church. And the way that a young person finds a space is by disagreeing with the establishment. Now I realize that that has become so common that we believe it is normal, but... Maybe it's common, but it isn't normal. Maybe there would be a way to actually hand them something that was substantive enough to build their calling around and yet free enough to give them room to move in their generation. So the handoff becomes crucial. The old person has something that the young person needs. Because if we don't give it to them, they will pick it up and run in another direction. I mean, you guys, the church planning movement for the last 20 to 30 years, it's changing a little bit now, but the fuel for the church planning movement was, this is not your daddy's church. But that's not a vision. (laughs) That's not a cause. So the old person has to be able to hand it to the young person in a way that allows the young person to honor what is truly historical and yet to reinvent it. Enter um, the Hebrew ideas. The Hebrew mind was that time moved along in a line. It was not circular. Prior to Abraham, most people of his day believed that everybody had pretty much the same experience for their lifetime. So it was Groundhog Day every hundred years. But when Abraham came, God gave Abraham a promise. And because Abraham was not able to receive the whole promise on the day that it came, he had something to hand his son. But when his son took it, he was headed towards the same promise. But he didn't get it either. And so he leaned forward and handed it to his son who took it and was headed towards the same promise. And so history moved in a linear way rather than a circular way. And it moved on the promises of God. 
It didn't move as people made decisions. It moved as God made promises. So you could have leaders that were better or worse. Some were competent. Some were very incompetent. Jacob himself lied a couple of times. You'd have been calling impeachment if he were your president. But, but when you move on the promises of God, there's a latitude in this. You can say, well, it certainly isn't going the way that God wants it to go, but it is going where God wants it to go. Because history moves in the direction that God's promises point. Are you tracking? Which meant that every person who came along in their era was a runner, but they were not the whole race. In America, every generation flatters itself by believing it is either the first or the last generation to come along. So a few years ago at Harvard University, the valedictorian got up and told the graduating class that all of history was waiting, leaning forward, looking for this class to graduate. He could have called his speech, the world's ten greatest men and how I picked the other nine. I mean, seriously. I mean, it is hard to imagine something so silly being said at a university as that. But this is what happens when you do not have a linear view of time. When you believe that history moves as people make decisions... Not as God makes promises. So what happens is the young person every time comes and thinks, well, I know, I know, I don't know. Every generation was just sort of warming us up. But now we're ready to really start playing. And what happens is the old person is trying to hold on to his era of time by always criticizing the changes that were made by the young person. So you have this conflict about the way something should be done. We don't like the way that we're making decisions, or we don't like the way that we're worshiping. <clears throat> like I didn't hear that a couple of times in the last nine to ten months. You know, we don't like the way that we're doing outreach. But see, what suffers in this, you guys, is the baton itself, the the promise of God is not the way you do something. It's what God himself is doing with the church. Do leaders screw things up? Of course they do. They have a profound impact on how well an organization is run. But if an organization moves on the promises of God, they cannot affect where it's going. He affects that. Are you tracking? See, in our culture, we tend to tell our history by the leaders. We speak of a person's administration as though that were the way to summarize a whole era in history. And in our case, we speak mostly of presidents. Or, if you're in the military, 
you speak in terms of wars. There was that segment of history. But what is lacking in our vision is the promise. What has God said? After we have that, we don't measure the speed of the runner. We measure the speed of the baton. It's not about the runner getting across the finish line. It's about the baton getting across the finish line. It's about the promise. It's about the faith, the word, the blessing. It is not about the personality, which leads to the the last big change was um, in their concept of, of, of how history worked, um, the issues were never so much decided, they were more often discerned. They were always waiting for God to make a move. And so when you got older, they knew that He would. Even if God had done tremendous things in your day, you knew that He was going to do something more in the next day. So, like, you know, Abraham would say as he gets older, you know, my wife had a baby at 90. That ain't small. But she didn't see the Lord at Bethel. That will be my grandson. And when Jacob came along, he would say, I was at Bethel, and I watched angels come down and go up into the heavens. Ain't nobody seen that before. But I never parted the Red Sea. That's at least as good as having children at 90. You you, you see it? And as you got older, you could count on that because history moved when God moved. You never had to look back to a golden era where you said, oh, that was the day when it was perfect. Because you said, no, no. God was just getting started. Wait to see what He does through our grandkids. Well, all that to say, we desperately need that view of time in our church. in our families so that those who come after us do not have to reinvent everything from scratch. How do we do that? The way is is to hand it forward. Let me give you a couple ways to do that. One of those uh, is found in the moment that Isaac reached forward and handed it to Jacob. He pulls his sons in, and while the story is long and convoluted, at the end of that episode, Isaac reaches forward and says to Jacob, may the God who has blessed me bless you. May, what he says is, may he give you lots of new wine and grain. But this is a Wesleyan church, and so you just say, may he give you the good life. 
Because that's what wine and grain was in those days. If you had a lot of it, you were prospering. And so what he literally said was, God has been good to me. May he be that good to you and then some. And so the first thing we can do is bless. So if I were to put a label over that episode, I would call it, take my blessing. Here, take my blessing. And that's when you just pull someone aside and you say to a younger person, God has been good to me, but may he be that good to you and even more. There's a formula for that. Admit your age. They all did that. They all pulled the young guy aside and said, I'm getting old. (laughs) It's beautiful. They weren't trying to fake it in their 80s. No, I'm not either old. They're not doing that. They're just pulling the young guy aside and admitting their age and say, I'm about to die. So, well, you'd be a little more tactful about that. Okay, I'm getting old. And then they prophesied over them. They simply said, you have a lot of good things. God will be at least as good to you as he was to me. They weren't hoping. They simply said, God will be good to you. See it? And then they just empowered them. They just stepped back and let them go. So I would say the first thing we can do, and it starts today, is take my blessing. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And I'm going to ask you, after you come to the table, not to go back to your seats, but to maybe stand over to the sides somewhere. And then as you see someone from another generation go by you, I'm just going to ask you to stop them for a moment, and the two of you or the three of you, just anyway, pairs or small groups, just utter a short prayer, a prayer of blessing. Now, I know that scares the life out of some of you, because you're like, no, no, I came to church to watch. I get that. I get that. I'm an introvert too, and so it makes me nervous too. But if you'll step outside of your comfort zone just for a moment, this could be a really powerful time for you. You don't have to know them. You don't have to speak this prophetic word and say you will rise and have many children. You have to do that. You just, you just have to pull them aside and say, you know what? God's been good to me. May he be that good to you and more. And just pray with him, okay? In a moment. Another way we can do this is to say, take my God. Isaac said, take my blessing. Jacob said, take my God. In Genesis 48, he goes into the room and he says, I'm about ready to go. (laughs) May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the one who has delivered me from all harm, May he bless these boys, and may they be called by my name, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. When we say, take my God, we're trying to give a person the way that we apprehend God. We're not just trying to say, here, God bless you. We're trying to say, this is what God has been for me over the years. This is the way I understand Him. This is the way I apprehend Him. Take that. Encounter God the way that I encounter Him. 
If you're younger, it would be great if you would ask for this. Just find someone who is older than you by one generation at least and just say, can I spend a few t- just a few hours with you? Not all at once, but off and on. A few, um, uh, some years ago, I started uh, the practice whenever I would go down to uh, Asbury College to speak, I would, well, in fact, the term was I wouldn't go at first. Some years ago, I said, I won't go unless I can get in a room with Kinlaw. He's an old guy. He's like 85. He's like 92 or 3 right now. He's like 85 or something back then. And and uh, they said, okay, then we'll make the arrangement. Well, one arrangement became another, became another, became another. And so there was almost an annual trip that I would make. And each time I would go to his house and I'd sit in the living room for an hour, in some cases four hours. And it was basically this old guy, uh, download. And the whole time he's downloading, he's moving seamlessly from one theologian to the next. And the whole time he's talking, he's tapping you on the knee, you know. You know why this happened? And you know why Paul said that? You know why? And after, you know, like the first hour, you're sort of like, yeah, stop. And he said, now, have you read this? No, no. Have you read that? Do you remember reading this? At one point he goes, he goes, when's the last time you read uh, Plato's Republic? I went, that's been a while. He goes, no, 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 no. I mean in the Greek. When's the last time you read Plato's Republic in the Greek? I went, okay, that's been even longer. Like never. He goes, you don't see it? There's a, of course I don't see it. He said, there's a phrase right here that he, he lifts the phrase out. That's exactly what Paul was trying to say. And he's just going nuts on all these things. And did you remember reading this by then? I'm just, finally I got halfway through and I went, stop it, man, stop it. Sheesh. He goes, what? I said, I'm an idiot. I get the point. I should read more. He just goes, well, you're not supposed to read these things. You're a a young guy. You're busy all the time. I'm supposed to read these things and then tell you what they say. So be quiet. I'm trying to tell you. (laughs) Okay, go, 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 go. If you're younger, you have to seek that out. Older, wiser people don't think you want to talk to them. If you're older, you have to have something of substance to say. Being 85, 90 years old is not a license to just start sharing your opinions. I love you guys. I'm closer to 80, well, 70, than I am college. But if we want to impact the next generation, we have to stay alive in things that are current so they will listen to us or they will go listen to somebody else. They might be okay. They just won't listen to us. Take my God. In the last scene, um, Joseph gathers his brothers around him and he says, I'm about to die. (laughs) So blunt. 
But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, of the land he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. You hear the handoff? Now when God comes to your aid, you better carry my bones up from this place. <laughs> if I were to put a slogan over this, I would call it, take me with you. Take my blessing. Here, take my God. And then, take me with you. <laughs> I can't go anymore. I won't make it. Unless I learn to follow the very people that I have entrusted. Are you with me? Four or five years ago, there was a it was a season in our church where I hit this wall. Uh, I, th it, I think I hit it early, and I thought, man, I must be like too old. Uh, and I felt like we had a lot of younger people in our church. Um, some were on staff, and some were on the board, and they were full of ideas, and they were full of movement, and we should do this, and we should do that. And I found myself um, vying for um, control in every meeting. Uh, till I came in here um, one morning and sat over there and after a, a conversation I, with God, I felt the Lord just say, you have, to, you, you have to let go of parts of the power. And there's a, it's a scary feeling when that happens because as you get older, you start to feel like you're no longer necessary because there's so many other things happening around you. You don't feel crucial anymore. Um, and I, I just remember on that day where the Lord said, if you empower other people and follow other people uh, as much as you like to lead, you will go further. If you don't, you'll feel more powerful but it's already after 8 p.m. for you if you do that. I remember standing up from the chair and saying out loud, if you're wrong, if you're wrong, then the last 20 years of my ministry are going to stink. You may not be that age yet, but you will be. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. You will come to a time when you will have to make a conscious, deliberate decision to step back and let other people lead you. If you can't do that, then your power will diminish exponentially over time. But, if you can do that, then your power will multiply over time. Your influence will become greater if you give it away. 